Mentally tough riders know how to think, what to think, and how to focus when times get tough. How do they do what they do? Listen in to Mental Edge with Dr. Jill Wurzba here on Four Equestrians. This week's topic on Mental Edge is mindful horsemanship. Hello and welcome to the Four Equestrians webinar series, Mental Edge, with Dr. Jill Wurzba. Dr. Jill has a doctorate in kinesiology, the study of human movement and performance, and a master's degree in sports psychology, the science and application of mental toughness. She's been professionally practicing helping athletes and performers of all types for the last 10 years, but her passion is equestrian sport. This webinar's topic is mindful horsemanship. You can use mindful techniques to focus attention, stay in the present moment, manage your nerves, and ride at your best. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Jill. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon to wherever you are calling in from. I am so excited to speak with you today about mindfulness because it is so critical to our sport to be in the present moment and to be just here, right here, right now with our equestrian partners. And um, I think it's also important to recognize that you know, the idea of mindfulness gets tossed around a lot of, oh, you should meditate or you should calm down and to be mindful or you need to sit and close your eyes when you are being mindful in your practice. And, you know, that's one way. That's a way to be using the techniques of mindfulness. But as I've been working with riders of all different skill levels and competition levels and a lot of different disciplines, is that we've come across the same issue over and over. It's so hard to be present minded because our human brains are so good at taking us either into the future of what if and also taking us into the past, what happened and dwelling there and getting stuck there mentally. So I today I want to talk about how to use the techniques of mindfulness to really be able to transition into this present moment. And all of this is really based in how do you pay attention, the way that your brain pays attention. And so actually, I want to start with a, a poll um, for everybody that's called in today of what have you heard about mindfulness or, or what do you use it for already? So hang on one second. Let me get my poll up here. So take a second and answer this question. For those of you just listening in, the, the questions are first is, okay, yeah, I practice mindfulness by meditating, by sitting with my eyes closed. So that's one way, right? Um, another way you might maybe practice mindfulness already is during daily tasks, right? So washing dishes or cleaning your house, you're just really mindful and in the present moment there. Another option is that you actually practice mindfulness with your writing already. And then the fourth choice is that you don't practice any kind of mindfulness. So take a second to vote. All right, so let me be smarter than the computer. Here we go. All right, so it looks like I'm just kind of, maybe I did this wrong. Here we go. It looks like some people do mindfulness meditation in terms of like sitting in a quiet room um, with your eyes closed. Oops, that's okay. And it looks like some people do it kind of on their day-to-day task and it looks like a lot of us have never practiced any kind of mindfulness. And and that's just perfectly fine. I think that's a misconception that is out there in terms of the 
usefulness of the technique behind mindfulness practice. And back to back to my slides here is one option that you'll see there is somebody sitting quietly. Another option of being mindful is when you're jumping through a gymnastic or you're riding down center line. And another option, oops, I'm going to back up. Another option is maybe your horse is being a little crazy. Maybe, I don't know if you can see that picture very well. It's a bull rider. I couldn't find a great image of somebody trying to be bucked off. Um, but you know what? Sometimes it feels like you're on a big bull when your horse is being naughty. And quite frankly, all three of those are perfectly great options to practice being mindful. It's important to be present moment. It's important to be responsive to the here and now and not let your mental state get too far ahead of you or get stuck in the past. So some definitions to work off of for today's purposes is... Uh, Dr. John Kabetzin has done a tremendous amount of research and applied practice with mindfulness, more in, in a medical setting, um, but he defines mindfulness as paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non judgmentally. So again, just here and now, and, and also being able to mentally give yourself space between your judgments and your opinions. And what you're able to just observe of them, that non-judgment, which we'll actually get into more detail in just a second. Um, and then a researcher in the field of sport and performance psychology, Dr. Amy Baltzell, um, defines mindfulness as mindfulness is a quality of awareness that objectifies the contents of experience internally and externally, promoting greater tolerance, interest, and clarity towards that content. I think particularly Amy's definition here is important to recognize that being mindful and being aware of here and now sometimes is an internal, what am I feeling? What am I doing? How's my body or my mind reacting? And then sometimes it's more external. What's happening out there? What are other people doing? What's the circumstance? What's my horse doing? And all of this is to wrap your attention into that present moment to be able to pick up as many details as possible. And, and that's really the trick here is to increase your performance ability. If I want to be at my best, I need to be attentive here and now. If I get caught up in the future, I get caught up in the past. It's robbing me of my awareness of the here and now and hence robbing me of my best performance. So there are seven key principles or what are referred to as attitudes of mindfulness. So again, Dr. Kabetzin has put together of all his inquiry and scientific research into what are the pieces that builds up this skill set of being mindful. And you'll notice here that there's these seven that I'm going to walk through all in succession. And also the, the, the image is very intentional is that they do overlap. They play a very big role together. But they're also able to keep an independence about them as well. And so sometimes it's really important, just for example, maybe I need to be patient right now. And then maybe in the next moment, I need to be patient and non-judgmental, right? So thinking about how to use all of these seven together as well as independently. So I want to walk through each of these seven to give you an idea of what they are, what they're not, maybe some misconceptions around what people might think they are and, and that are inaccurate. And also give you an idea of how maybe you can use them or what they might look like um, within our world of equestrian sport. Um, so let's just start with non-judging. 
So non-judging is taking the role of an impartial observer to whatever your current experience is. So you're not making a judgment about what's happening. You're just observing it. So here's the deal is that our brain is on autopilot thinking most of the time and that our brain is designed to make judgments about the things around us, right? I like this. I don't like that. That's good. That's bad. This could be better. That could be worse, right? We're, so we're making these judgments or opinions. Maybe that's another way to think about a judgment. You're having an opinion about what's going on around you. And to use the, the technique of non-judging is to basically give your mind some mental space between that, that judgment or that opinion and you. So just giving yourself some space and observing what that judgment is. So I also want to be clear here that, is, is that non-judging does not mean that you don't ever have opinions or you don't ever like or dislike anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying non-judging is that you're just observing your opinion. Oh, hey, I'm noticing that I don't like that. And, you're, and you'll notice even my tone there is very neutral. Right? That's what non-judging helps us do is kind of gain that neutral, just pure observer mode. And non-judging can be really difficult to do because we get caught up into these, our own opinions and our own um, likes and dislikes constantly. Right? We're, our brain is constantly making a determination. Do I like something? Is it good or is it bad? And the problem is that I get caught up in that kind of mindset. And then that's where my brain gets sucked into. And therefore, I'm missing what's happening right now that potentially that information could help me could help me be a better rider. It could help me respond to a very small but important cue that my horse is giving me. So just for an example, so if I'm not doing a good job at non-judging, I, I start to mentally judge how well I'm riding. Maybe I, I start to notice that, oh, maybe I should be better than I am, or, oh, everybody's looking at me, and they, they think I'm a terrible rider. I look silly. I don't know what I'm doing. So pause. That mindset of judging, can you see how that could just suck you in and get you mentally stuck there instead of being present with your horse? So if I switch into non-judging, is that I would put my awareness to just noticing, oh, I got, I'm, I'm angry at myself. I'm disappointed that I'm not able to ride a certain movement better. I know I have done that in the past, but I'm just aware that that's where my brain is going. So I'm still present and noticing what's happening right here, right now. So a way to even practice non-judging, you don't even have to be in the saddle, at the barn, even with your horse at all. You could practice right now of just notice your current environment. And just start to notice what are your judgments that come up? So even just me, I'm sitting in my office, I'm looking around, I've got a, a painting of a horse. I know that's shocking in my office and I'm looking at, oh, I, I think to myself, oh, I like that. That's a nice painting. It's very calming. It's got nice lines to it. Great color. Right? So all I'm doing is noticing that I have those judgments that I like it and it's got good color, but I'm not getting sucked into that perspective. So the better that you get at practicing this non-judging technique piece of mindfulness, the better you are at discerning the difference between your opinion about what stuff is and the real truth of reality of what it is. Sometimes they're the same, but I got to tell you, a lot of times they're not the same. So it helps you give distance and helps you gain more information that helps you know what do I need to do now in this moment to maintain, to adjust. So that's where non-judging gives us an edge. 
I even, I selected this, um, photograph of a, a rider. I'm, I'm going to guess that this person just finished a test, right? They're walking out of the ring and I can imagine that they're excited about their ride, right? They're giving their horse a nice pat and right there, even when things are going great and your mind is thinking, this was amazing. My horse did this so well. I rode this well, that was tough, but I fixed it. I don't think the judge saw it right there. We could also practice non-judging, just mentally separating. So we don't get spun up in that. Like, yeah, enjoy it but it's still in that present moment, live in it. And then as soon as you walk out of the ring, we're switching into a new moment, right? No, we're not in the show ring anymore. Okay. So I'm going to move on. So next, um, principle of mindfulness is acceptance. So acceptance is seeing things the way they really are in the present moment that you are accepting whatever your thoughts, your feelings, your sensations, your your bodily sensations, your mental sensations, whatever beliefs you have, and that those things are just those things. So by acceptance, I do not mean that you give up. Oh, I accept it. I give up and I shut down. No. Acceptance is not playing the victim. It's not giving in. It's not giving up. It's just noticing what is it and saying it for what it is, right? Accepting that that is reality and that is fact. And acceptance is real tough as well to practice because a lot of times we get wrapped up into how we think things should be instead of how they are. So, so here's a quick example. Let's just say you have a headache. If you try to ignore the headache or, oh, it's not that bad, or maybe overinflate, oh, this is the worst thing ever. That's not helping you deal with the situation right here, right now. You need to accept, I have a headache, label it. That's what it is. It is what it is. Accept that you have a headache. And then here's the deal is that if I get so spun up in whatever bad or good things happened, I'm spilling all of my energy and my ability to gather good information by getting caught up into how I think things should be instead of how things really are. So here, here's a quick example is so let's just say you're you're riding your horse and in your head is it you're thinking I have to find let's just say you're jumping I have to find the perfect spot and if I don't find the perfect spot to the fence my horse is going to stop it's going to chip or we're going to take this long flyer it's going to look awful and let's say you're riding up to this fence and you get a not great distance to it if you just accept that, like, oh, that was, that was a chunk and you just label it for what it is. Think about that is so much easier to keep moving on, move forward, land and ride off to your next obstacle than it is if you're thinking, oh, that was terrible. And I wish that was better. Everybody's watching me. Right. So even notice just the tone of my voice as I'm describing this is completely different from when I am practicing acceptance and when I'm not. So even the the image there is a for those of you that are just listening is a, a rider on a cross country course jumping a chevron and it looks beefy <laughs> it looks like a decent jump right and they're in the water they're jumping in and out of the water and so that's a great one if if you're also a, a event rider or if you ever just jump around if you're riding up to a big fence that you know is solid 
and let's pretend that you're scared. Let's, let's pretend that we've all had that at some point, right? You're riding up to something or even in the dressage ring and you know, you've got a big movement coming up and you're asking for a big change is in that moment. If you recognize I'm scared, label it, accept that you are scared. And as soon as you do that, that gives you flexibility to move on into the next moment, refocus into, I can still put my leg on if I'm scared. I can still ride hard if I'm scared. But if you don't label it, right, and if you don't use this acceptance, you're going to get too mentally stuck in that fear instead of being able to be focused in that present moment and still ride on. So next one, moving on. Next principle of mindfulness is letting go or non-attachment. So, so the, this one is referred to in those two different um, title areas, letting go or non-attachment. So non-attachment is avoidance of attaching any meaning to your thoughts or feelings or connecting whatever happened to your thoughts or your feelings. So by letting go, I mean, let it be. So let it come and go. It just passes. I, a visual that I like is imagine you're standing next to a river and there's a leaf that's floating on the river and you see the leaf come down the river and it comes into your um, purview and then it also drifts right on out and that's it. So you're not creating any meaning or attachment to it. You're just letting it come and let it go. So by, by non-attachment, I also, I don't mean that you don't care. I think that might be a misconception here that, oh, if I don't attach to what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what happened in that moment, if I don't attach and create meaning for it, it means that I don't care. I'm not passionate. And that's not true. By non-attachment, we mean that you can be passionate and really invested, but you're staying present minded. You're not trying to make things a certain way. You're letting them be as they are. So you're not both. You're not trying to grasp things towards you. And you're also not trying to push things away. So this can be a very difficult one as well for some folks to practice and to be consistent with is because we, our brain is so good at creating meaning. We, we have this amazing brain that we're working with, um, our cerebral cortex, where all of our higher level thinking happens is that we can create a lot of meaning and connection and relationships in the things that we see in our life. And while that's all well and good and can be very beneficial in a lot of areas in our life, when we're trying to be present minded, when we get too hung up in that meaning, it means something and I attach myself to it. I grasp to how I think want things to be. That's again, when I'm missing this present moment here and now, cause I'm mentally somewhere else. So here's something that, so I, I practice non-attachment a lot, a lot, particularly when, when I go for my ride for the day is in my head, I've got a ride plan. Oh, I'm going to do this exercise. I'm going to work on this. And last week, this is what my horse struggled with. And this is what I need to work on. So I've got this mental ride plan or, or even right. So you show up for a lesson and your trainer's got a plan and they know what you did well or not well last week. So if I go into that lesson, holding on to those expectations that I have, I'm sunk because it's going to be a mental comparison of, oh, I should have done it this way and not this way. It means that I'm not progressing or it means that I am progressing really fast, right? So it could go either way if things are going well or not. 
So when I do practice non-attachment is, yeah, walk into the arena with a plan. I know what I want to do. I know how I'm going to execute it. I'm knowing how I'm going to handle probably typical issues, right? You know your horse and they know you. But I let go of expectations to be just in the present moment. So whatever my horse is giving me in that moment, what we're working on together, then we are a synchronized team. I'm listening to him. He's listening to me. And even if things aren't great, I non-attach. It is what it is. And I stay in the present moment. So actually a really great way to practice non-attachment is just by paying attention to your breathing. It is a requirement for breathing to let things go, right? If you all, if you just inhale right now, inhale. And if you wanted to keep that breath, oh, I want to keep it. It's helped me in the past. I want to keep this breath. Now you feel like you're suffocating a little bit, don't you? Right. You need to let that breath out to make space for the next breath. So even just practicing, you know, five, six, maybe 10 inhale, exhale, and noticing what is that like to not create meaning, not create attachment to what that my breath is, because you are going to move on to the next moment. Something will be there for you. And there it is. And you can handle it. All right. So I'm moving on next principle of mindfulness is patience. So by patience, I mean that you understand that things happen in their own way and their own time. So it's important to recognize that there's a lot of things in life that you can't rush, even though we want things to be how we want them right now, right? I want instant gratification. I want it now. Is that that's just not the case, particularly with our equine partners, is that animals are going to have their own process. They're going to need what they need in the way that they need it. And they'll get there when they get there. Is that when you start rushing, it never turns out well. So also by patience, I do not mean just waiting around or not trying or not putting in effort. I was actually talking with a friend of mine who um, we were discussing patience and she's like, Oh my God, that's exactly what it's like when I'm doing 30 burpees in a row is that I can't get to the 30th burpee without doing one, two, three, four and succession. You have to be there through the whole process. That's being patient. And that's also actually a great example of still putting in a lot of effort and a high intensity effort potentially is that you can still be patient through that process. So patience can be difficult though, as well, just like the other ones of, of our principles of mindfulness is because we, in a lot of cases, just desperately want an immediate change, right? Something's not going well and I want it fixed now. And so we start to get impatient with ourselves. We get impatient with our horse or, or even maybe I get impatient with my trainer, my riding instructor, is that I want the change to happen now and it's so frustrating that it's not happening. And even pause, I think we've all been in that mindset at some point, but think about when you've been in that mindset, if I want it now, I want it to get fixed now, is that we actually end up making it worse. I don't pay attention to the little details that matter for me to actually make the right change. Or even sometimes to make things better means you sit and be patient, get out of your horse's way. And that's actually why I selected this image um, of a rider that looks like um, um, some kind of a Grand Prix um, jumping 
Oh, excuse me, show jumping um, stadium. And it looks like the horse just crashed through a fence and there's parts of the jump kind of all around the horse's feet. And here's a great time that you would need to be patient. You can't make your horse get to their feet faster than they're going to get to on their own. You can't make them get back into stride to keep finishing ride on and finish the course. You've got to let things transpire as they do. And even that's going to be the quickest way to recover. Let things happen in their own way and their own time. That's being patient. I'm going to move on to the next topic is beginner's mind. So beginner's mind is really about shifting your perspective away from what you think you already know and observing your experience as if it was the first time that you've ever seen it. So being receptive to new possibilities, open to new details of potentially if you are very experienced and you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of skill and a lot of strength is that we walk into situations with all that. I want to call it baggage a little bit is that you carry all this expertise with you that actually can cloud your ability to see the situation for what it is. Right? And that's the essence of being mindful, of seeing reality as it is right here and right now. So, so by beginner's mind, I, I is also difficult, and particularly for people that are very experienced, um, is that because we walk into every situation with what we already know. We walk in with our expertise. And also, as an aside, it's, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying get rid of your expertise and forget everything that you have ever learned or, you know, developed any kind of knowledge or skill around. I'm just saying that if you let your mind be on autopilot and get stuck in those old habits of thinking, you're probably going to miss some key information that you can use. So the image here is a dressage rider i'm gonna guess is he is doing like a flying change or maybe a a small circle and i can't really tell based on the picture Um, but it looks like they're at the canter and what a great time to just see the situation for what it is as if it's fresh and new gives you that detailed edge Right. And and even if you're just observing this, right, I, I love going to shows and just watch just watching people ride and and people watching of everybody who's kind of watching around the, the ring is that once you get so hung up in what you already know, you miss the nuance and the beauty of what's actually happening right now. So here's something else that I, I've worked on quite a bit myself is when I walk into a situation and I feel like I need to do it right. I know how to do it. And I start to actually force and rush my horse to do what I'm asking him to do. It completely clouds my perception to feel what he's telling me. So when I switch into beginner's mind, then I'm, I start noticing, oh, I'm, I'm pushing him too much. He's wanting to lean just a little to the right. And instead of pushing him over, I'm going to guide him over. Right. So, and really like what a subtle little, little difference that makes all the difference in the world. So next one is trust. And by trust, I mean, having trust in yourself, 
your intuition, your abilities, your strengths. Is that when you talk about trust, it's about looking inward, look to yourself instead of always looking to others or looking out. So trust and, and an article that we have on the four equestrian site as well is about how do I build confidence? Confidence is all about trusting yourself and your abilities. Confidence means with trust. So an absolutely essential element to our high level performance is trusting what you have, what your skill is, what your physical, mental, emotional strengths are. Trusting that you're able to feel what your horse is telling you, right? And that subtle communication that you have just constantly with your partner. And, and also is that trust means that you know how to trust yourself. Even if it's sloppy and messy, you'll be able to handle it. But also trusting that you know the difference between I can handle it, even if it's going to be rocky, we'll get through this. And trusting, I know how to ask for help. And knowing that distinction, right? This trusting yourself does not mean ignoring others' input, particularly your trainer, right? They're telling you something on purpose. So trust can be really difficult to do because it is so common to just take our body's wisdom for granted, right? I mean, think about you trust that your breath is going to take care of itself. How often do you think about breathing? You trust that your heart is going to beat. You trust that your feet are going to support you when you walk across the room. You trust that your eyes can see, right? So it's stuff that you already know to be true, but we just don't pay attention to it. So by leveraging trust here in the essence of mindfulness, it helps you get more practiced about leaning in. How do I help myself? What can I trust about me to be able to handle whatever is in front of me? And I think this, this one, particularly lack of trust for riders is so common because we've got a 1,200-pound animal as our partner. And as soon as you start to doubt your own ability, right, and even the image is someone riding up to a jump through um, water again on a, a cross-country course, it looks like, is as soon as you start to doubt, uh-oh, can I do this? Guess what your horse feels? They feel that same tension. They feel the doubt as well. And what do they start to do? They start to shut down as well, or they get too bold and drag you to the jump. And neither of those things are good. And so again, trust that you can still put your leg on, even if you're scared. Trust that you know how to sit deep no matter what. That's fine. Right. And that's about switching your mindset to trust, switching your mindset to I can do enough small things. I am certain that I can handle that. And that's where we want to let our mind be. So we don't get caught up in everything that else is happening. We're still in the present moment. What can I do right now for sure? All right. So last principle of mindfulness is called non-striving. So non-striving is the state of not doing anything. Just accepting that things are happening in this moment as they're supposed to, and not trying to make things different, just allowing things to be as they are. So by non-striving, I mean, you're not forcing, you're not pushing, you're not making things. I'm letting them be as they are. And again, kind of counterintuitive here is by non-striving, I do not mean that you're being apathetic, that you don't care. 
oh, whatever, it's fine. No, you do care. But you're not rushing through things. You're not trying to make them different, hoping that they're different. You're accepting how they are, right? So like I said before, all these seven interconnect very much. But you're seeing what, what is the right effort right now? What does it feel like to not push myself so hard? Just be with things how they are right now. And by practicing non-striving is probably going to feel very difficult for a lot of us. It certainly was for me when I first started practicing um, mindfulness is because it's so counterintuitive to not try. We've been told our whole lives to push yourself, get things done, make it happen. And so that's being ingrained in us and a lot of times rewarded by external sources, but very ironically so by trying really hard or forcing something, it actually, in a lot of cases, tends to have the opposite effect. So great example is, have you ever tried to make yourself fall asleep? You're laying in bed and you can't fall asleep and all of a sudden you force yourself to fall asleep. No. As soon as you try to fall asleep, you actually wake up more. Am I the only? That me too, right? And and so it's less about forcing the thing, and it's more about non-striving in the sense of setting the conditions to let things happen as they're supposed to. That's actually how you help yourself fall asleep faster. Set the conditions so that your body will do what it naturally does, which is fall asleep. Right. So you know, ambient noise, maybe, you know, have a fan on or feel warm in your blanket or stretch a little bit before you get in bed. That's setting the conditions to help you fall asleep faster. It's not forcing yourself to fall asleep. So I think it's easy to get caught up in striving. It's easy to get caught up in trying to push and make things happen. But let's all play that out in our head. When's the last time you forced your horse to do something and how well that went? Probably not very well. Right. And, and even if I, I like to think about the difference between insist versus demand, when you insist with your horse, you keep after it. No, really this, no, really, I no, really keep your shoulder and keep your shoulder. No, I'm, I'm serious. Keep your shoulder. And that's when they get it. It's not when you force them to do it, they're going to rebel. And so when you shift away from striving and you shift into non-striving, it's focusing on letting yourself know what you had to do, letting things transpire as they will. And again, sometimes that means you're putting in a lot of effort. I'm working really hard, but I'm not expecting a huge result. I just know I need to maintain that pace or that intensity to get to where I need to be. And I have this image here of a, a gal holding a horse in a wash rack and, you know, who knows what they were actually doing. Maybe it was just, she's getting, you know, some brand at the end of a day or something. I don't know. But this picture really made me think of if your horse has ever had an injury and that you were perfectly capable of riding, but your horse was not. And so the thing about if you ever try, like, I'm going to make my horse get better. I'm going to help make them heal faster. Doesn't work. Setting the conditions for healing works, but I'm not going to force something that the body is not going to do on its own accord. Right. And even just mentally, when you get caught up and I wish it was this, I wish it was that way. You're burning all your energy for no reason. And you're missing that time 
of just be here. Let things happen as they will. So all of these principles of mindfulness definitely overlap and work together. And even just as you're listening to me talk, I probably used a lot of different of those seven terms together as I was describing in a, a different one. And an example I just really quick want to share with you that I think hits a lot of these as an example of how these seven work together is I was helping a friend of mine um, school her OTTB who she's teaching how to jump. She's wanting to make him into an inventor. So I'm helping my friend school over these fences and um, her, her horse is very straight, very happily. And so I'm riding up to this fence and in that moment, I'm riding up to the fence. And if I get hung up when this horse doesn't really know what they're doing and what if they, you know, pull the pole down, pause, right? I'm getting so caught up in judgments. I'm getting caught up in how I think things should be, right? I'm not accepting that would have completely derailed my ability to just be present in the moment right there. Right. So I practiced acceptance. I practiced trusting that I can sit and be um, soft with my hand and stay with him no matter what he does. Right. So, so long story short, he jumps in this line and jumps very nicely. And he canters up to this um, little oxer in front of us and one, two lovely strides. Third stride takes like a half a stride and then dives left just completely skirts out on this oxer. And in that moment, like I like very, he was very kind horse. He didn't dump me, which was good. But in that moment, if I get hung up in, I'm scared and I don't want to do this or I'm going to get after him. There's no way he's going to do that to me. Pause. I'm not being present in the moment, right? He's still learning. We're learning together. So I'm practicing being patient. I'm not going to rush him through this line. He's going to have to take three nice steps. He's, I have to accept that that's what it was, right? He dove left and that's okay. That's what happened. We're going to circle around and try it again. And I actually leveraged a lot of beginner's mind too. I was trying to put my head in. He hasn't really seen a lot of jumps before in his life. If he's just learning this, what's new, what is he looking at? That's different. That could be throwing him off. That changed how I was able to help him stay straight, how it was help, help him be able to ride up and find a nice spot for him to be very comfortable and confident to jump the little oxer out of the line. And so really all of these seven principles of mindfulness are really helping me do my job, which is in this case was help him learn. But also for all of us, even if you've got a schoolmaster and you can go in a ring and they're going to look great and it's your job to keep it together for yourself. All seven of these mindfulness principles can help as well. So I'm going to, I want to switch over to if you have any questions and, and a couple of options here too. I know that was a lot of information is certainly you're welcome to type in a question here right now. And I'd be happy to kind of have a little dialogue back and forth with you now, or you'll see my email there at the bottom and shoot me an email. Tell me your story. It could be a short blurb. It could be a long, long thing. Yes, please. I'd love to hear from you. So it's Dr. Jill, D-R-J-I-L-L at number four equestrians.host and shoot me an email so I can hear what you're working on and what you're struggling with because the essence of capitalizing on our use of mindfulness techniques here is that 
you got to figure out how to work it for you. This is definitely a mental skill set that takes a lot of practice. So it's okay if you're struggling a little bit at first. It's really just about switching your awareness to what am I aware of now? Am I getting hung up my judgments? Am I getting hung up my opinions or how I want things to be, how I hoped they would be? That gives you a cue to mentally separate. Just observe, take that in, notice what's happening, be in the present moment. So I'm going to hand it back over to Becca to close us out. Okay, great. Thank you, Dr. Jill. Um, and thank you to everyone that attended today's webinar. Uh, I want to add that those who attended today's webinar will receive a recording of the broadcast. Um, and it will also be on the website as well as iTunes. And again, please send in your questions, comments, concerns, or even uh, topic ideas. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we will be hosting more webinars in the upcoming weeks, so be sure to tune in and uh, check out the news and more info on the fourquestions.com website. Until next time, kick on.